0: am i so, okay. so I've
1: been a, a private private hire hire for the <laughs> I'm a
2: Hello, my name is Mark Thomas, and welcome to Keywords, the podcast that talks to key workers about their experiences through COVID nineteen. Episode five, paying the price. There is a question that is begging from the episode title. Who does pay the price for this pandemic? The short answer is us. So, if you're in a rush, thanks for listening. Join me next week. Chris, the bin man from Glasgow, who is featured throughout this podcast, offers an equally brief analysis. It's hit the poor, right? But it's the poor. It's been nice to step up the mark. Without wishing to sound like every folk song in my possession, the working class are the first to pay and the last in line for the divvy up. It is impossible not to see the class divide between the cabinet and the rest of us. Their experience of money is just not the same as ours. It is extraordinary that the rulers of this government have so little understanding of poverty and are so heartily insulated against it. Boris Johnson used to be paid £275,000 a year to write a bi-monthly column for The Telegraph, a column that he estimated took him 10 hours a month to write. That's nearly £3,000 an hour. For him, the £20 a week cut to universal credit is the equivalent of 35 seconds of work, barely enough time to scratch his arse and smell his fingers. Rishi Sunak's family... Well, they're richer than the Queen. Imagine being so rich that you think Camilla has married down. Being so rich that when the Queen comes, she steals your toilet roll as a souvenir. Or of being so rich that you think putting your face on the money is a bit common. Or you're so rich you confuse Demin with Ermin. I'm aware that when comparing the richest with the poorest, inevitably there are some accusations that this is the politics of envy. It is. It absolutely is, and there's a lot to be envious of food, water, clothes, rent, paid bills, security. Despite all the risks, key workers found they had few options in this pandemic, as tube driver Patrick explains. What,
1: what can you do? You, you just gotta, what can you do? You worry, but you just have to go to work, and you? you? can't, there's not nothing else you can do. We were worried about COVID, but I'm much more worried about um, being able to pay my mortgage and feed my kids.
2: After coming into contact with a COVID-positive health minister, what other kind is there, Johnson decided that he would not follow his government's advice. He would not self-isolate. Rules, like decorators' bills, were for other people. I genuinely believe Johnson is a conviction politician and should be convicted as soon as possible. All of his behaviour matters. We are at the start of the third wave of this pandemic and if Prime Ministers lead by example, then Johnson is a step away from dropping his keks in Leicester Square and sticking a flare up his arse. In a just world, he would be forced to self-isolate by being suspended midway across a zip wire with two flags in his hand or in a pillory with a sign around his neck, Wallpaper Thief! Or maybe just a daily tally of the UK death rate chalked on him. In the latest episode of When Sociopaths Fall Out, Cummings revealed Johnson believed COVID-19 only affected the over-80s, going on to say, That is above life expectancy, so get COVID and live longer. The Prime Minister, our Prime Minister, has the gravitas, intellect and empathy of a fortune cookie. The rest of us don't get to be so glib. As a tube driver, Carlos got to witness the dilemma of work versus health, Every day.
1: At rush hour in the mornings, you had all the construction workers like mobbing trains out. Now, I'm sure if you asked all of them if, if they had a choice that money wasn't the issue, would they get in a sardine team
2: with a load of people? They, they, they wouldn't. It was almost as if the working class were, oh, I don't know, expendable. And yet, as Patrick points out, there are worse positions to be in. I was always well aware that there'd be people that would kill for to be in my position, you know, that had a job to go to. I
1: knew I was going to get paid at the end of every month.
2: Jacob Rees-Mogg once described food banks as rather uplifting, as if they were an aria from a light operetta or a cheeky little something from the wine cellar. Emma, a special educational needs teacher and a food bank volunteer, has seen a sharp rise in families accessing the services. I know, right? You can almost hear Jacob whistling show tunes at this very moment. You
3: know, it, it, it's, it's not the people that you think you're gonna get, because I think we have had so many parents who've had to take unpaid leave because bubbles in, in school have popped or because they've been furloughed or because they're on a zero hours contract. And it, when you've got everybody in the house all of the time and actually you need the heat on more than less, it, it, it's a massive concern for us that we've got, you know, children who at home who are, not because through the fault of the parents, but the families are struggling to feed them, struggling to keep them warm because of the situation that's that occurred around COVID.
2: Emma isn't unique. Around one in five schools have set up a food bank to help hungry families since the start of the pandemic. One in five schools, including Eton. Sorry, my mistake. The, <laughs> no, they have a bank. They just have a bank. It's not. It's an investment, not a food bank. Sorry, wrong bank. Although the Trussell Trust and Eton are both charities. Easy mistake. Almost half the people using a food bank at the start of the pandemic had not used one before. And while this may have Jacob donning his boater and blazer in delight, it also highlights the fact that COVID-19 has made the holes in the safety net even bigger. For Carlos, the unenviable position of working and keeping his partner safe placed financial penalties on him from the start.
1: My partner is um, clinically extremely vulnerable, so um, I made the decision very early on. I would normally take the train and the bus in. Um, I made the decision to drive. So so immediately that was a a financial issue because we get free travel and all that.
2: Despite his best efforts to improve his chances of not catching COVID and still stay in work, Carlos was forced to accept his choice was actually no choice at all.
1: So at the beginning, we were working in basically a cohort of, uh, if you stuck to the same shift you were doing, I would only meet the same 10 drivers every day. And then they made a decision somewhere along the line and said, we need to get the trains, more trains running because then it gives people more chance to socially distance, which I get. Um, But the upshot was, is that now instead of seeing 10 people, I was seeing potentially 50, 80 a day, which I did make a bit of a stand at work and it cost me four days wages. So there's the financial hit, if you like. And uh, I I was basically uh, starved back into work if you
2: want to be dramatic about it. For those in the gig economy, COVID exacerbated all its flaws. One of the area's hardest hit was hospitality. Sky works with McDonald's and Jamie worked in a hotel. The first thing they noticed was a cut in hours.
0: So before COVID, I would usually have about a six to eight hour shift, like depending And then once COVID came in, I had like one or two very short shifts, two hours to four hours with a 45 minute break. You work like three hours and that's it. No more pay, even though you're supposed to have eight hours.
4: So people going from like full time, 40 hours down to 24. Severe loss of pay. Yeah. Like, honestly, you'd be better being on furlough. (laughs) Like, and that's 80 percent. It's still not the best, but you'd be better off on that than what you'd be getting on on a lesser contract
2: the amount sky got for furlough is based on a percentage of his reduced hours so the amount he actually gets is pitiful
0: that was about 80 percent of people's average pay which was recorded from 12 months before but i was getting about 100 pound every two weeks because we get paid every two weeks
2: Although employers were able to claim furlough for their staff, it still carried a cost to the employer, which is perhaps why Amy, who worked in a hotel, found her life so abruptly upturned.
3: And then all of a sudden, one Thursday afternoon, I went into my uh, shift and got told that would be me, done. I was on furlough. The insurance had cleared us to have no one in the building, so we didn't need a skeleton crew anymore. Um, and then we were on furlough for a few months. Um, and then you're furloughed on minimum wage, which is not very much. Um, 80% of a minimum wage, 37 and a half hour contract is not great. Um, and it's not enough to live on. Um, you know, we declare our tips as tax and we pay an eye on them depending on how you paid them. Um, but that, that wasn't taken into account with your reference pay. That wasn't taken into account for 80% of your income and it's, it's a huge it's a huge amount that's lost. And then like many other properties, uh, the redundancy letters came.
2: The current disruptor capitalist trend to make everyone self-employed, strangely not allowing Deliveroo scooter drivers to take their income offshore or raise equity through issuing a bond issue in themselves and their bike, well, what that does is it tends to minimise workers' rights and minimise employers' responsibilities. For Emma, the nature of jobs like hers as a freelance specialist supply teacher allowed her employers to have no responsibilities.
3: A lot of supply agencies are refusing to furlough their staff, which means that we've got, um, you know, supply teachers and supply support staff all over the country who have received no income
2: at all. For those in work but vulnerable to exposure, there were additional financial penalties. In September 2020, it became law to self-isolate if you tested positive or if you were a close contact of someone who had tested positive too. This week... Over a million people are self-isolating, including Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. Sadly, neither of them were furloughed and both keep their jobs and are on full sick pay, which is not the case for everyone, as restaurant and bar worker Caitlin observes.
0: So so if you're working with someone and they get it and you have to self-isolate and you don't, you're then financially going to be really worse off as well ssp's 96 pounds a week like my rent's 495 a month obviously self-isolation is absolutely needed but i can totally see how people aren't doing it because it would like like 96 pounds is not enough to survive on.
2: Of course £96.35 a week is not enough to live on. It barely covers two minutes of Prime Minister's time writing for The Telegraph. Perhaps that's why Johnson didn't want to isolate. He was absolutely terrified he would have to get statutory sick pay. Mary works in a care home with the most vulnerable, and you would be forgiven for thinking that the company would have an interest in keeping her at home if there was any doubt in the state of her health.
0: Nowadays, they are not paying anything for full sick pay, only what the government said. If you are sick, that is why people go to work, because even if you feel sick, you need to pay bills. Statutory sick pay means that we only get £95 a week and exclude the first three days. We can't live on that. This is horrible. They said that we are heroes, but they don't trade like heroes. What is that? We deserve more.
2: Phil works with London Underground and as an RMT member has better pay and conditions than the cleaners who arguably have the most important job in a pandemic, in an underground system.
4: We were getting our normal wage, we were getting sick pay uh, full wage, but the cleaners were not. And they were getting told that they were only going to get statutory sick pay if they had to isolate. Now that means you've got um, a low-paid person it was like, as you say, has got the most important job prob- probably on the whole of London underground, they've got to make a choice now. they I stay at home and keep myself safe, keep my colleagues safe and keep my family safe, or they'll take that risk and go to work and get paid my normal money.
2: Germany offers its citizens 100% of their wages in sick pay. Belgium 93%. Sweden, 64%, shockingly for Sweden, as it's normally the benchmark for wholesome statistics, despite the dent in its liberal image caused by endless Scandi Noir series. The amount of money the UK pays workers as a percentage of their wages in sick pay is... 19%. Of course it is. If there is a shit statistic to be found, it will be found here. Great prison, home of the illiberal indices. The lowest paid are those with the most pressure put upon them to come into work and who work in the most medically exposed areas. For Christine, a care home worker for an outsourced service provider, it was who she worked for that made the difference.
0: We're not employed by the council. We're not paid for the first three days sick. We don't get full sick pay like the council do. Um, It was just a constant battle with the company. The the, The risk that the company ran was that people were coming to work with COVID symptoms because they couldn't afford to be off. It is not
2: hyperbole to suggest that this is a huge problem. Six million workers have to rely on statutory sick pay, which is quite clearly below the minimum wage. What could be worse than that? Well, worse than statutory sick pay is no statutory sick pay. There are another two million workers who earn so little that they do not qualify for statutory sick pay at all. They get nothing the lack of statutory sick pay falls disproportionately on women. Of the 2 million people who don't qualify, 70% are women, which means 1 in 10 women workers do not get any sick pay at all. Even without COVID-19, this is a massive issue and injustice, forcing workers to carry on working with ill health or face penury. Jess is a chef at Weatherspoons and talked about the pressures his staff were under.
1: the The first thing that I think would go through most people's heads is, if you can't afford to take time off sick, then you have to do, you have to make the decision about whether you're going to go in and potentially risk other people's lives just so that you can earn enough money to put food on the table. You know, it's that's not that's not fair at all. That's not something that should ever ever have to go through any worker's mind should they
2: risk their own life or somebody else's. In a statement that nearly started a new hashtag movement, Johnson vowed to put arms around every single worker, whether they liked it or not. The government has refused to change the regulations and workings of statutory sick pay, despite saying it needs to happen. Surely it's a no-brainer. It is a move that would help nearly 8 million workers. Carol works in a care home and explains the situation her colleagues found themselves in. The
3: government said nobody should lose money for having to isolate for COVID, but yet our staff have been losing money. Or given the choice of either losing money or taking annual leave. How can you justify being in hospital with COVID and having to take the annual leave? Because you cannot afford to drop down to statutory sick pay. They're only on national minimum wage to begin with. We've had a member of staff that was actually in hospital with COVID. His partner, because he had COVID, she had to wear slit. And because she had to get SSP, she ended up losing 450 pounds in her wages. And these are people that, they're amazing people my colleagues, what they do, the empathy, the skill they have to do this job for all the responsibilities, they're just not recognised and they're not valued.
2: That we live in a country where a man working in a pandemic in a care home is hospitalised because of contracting the virus and has to take annual leave while in the hospital is to put it bluntly, fucking disgraceful. The government consultation on sick pay ended this month, July 2021, saying the pandemic is not the right time to introduce changes to the rate of SSP or its eligibility criteria. In the middle of a pandemic surely is exactly the time. Helping people isolate during a highly infectious pandemic is the time to do it. If this is how Johnson's crisis scheduling works, we should be launching the Titanic lifeboats about now. Jess from Witherspoons has no doubt about how the reality of this played out on the ground.
1: The number one thing that could have prevented the the spread of COVID in this country would just be sick pay for everyone, full
2: sick pay for everyone. And here we are 14, 15 months later and we, we still don't have it. Mo, a bus driver, has another analogy. Would you get
1: on a plane if you found out that your pilot doesn't get company sick pay? If they go off sick, they shouldn't be forced to come to work um, because of economical um, um, impact that they will have or financial impact they will have or burden.
2: It has been obvious right from the start that Black and Asian workers were being disproportionately affected by COVID-19. You simply had to see the news coverage of the first health workers to die to know that something was happening. And when the statistic did come out, they bore out that simple fact the mortality rate for black and asian workers with covid19 is 3.5 times higher than white workers Tarek is a firefighter and he is more than aware of these figures the statistics are there
1: they're not going away they've been there for a year now and it is evident that there is a disproportionate effect you know, to to Black communities, to South Asian communities. I, myself, am of a South Asian heritage. And I know that it could affect uh, myself. My wife is of an Indian heritage as well, so it could affect her um, disproportionately. And going to work and work on the front line um, means that I am out there. While people were safe in their homes, I knew that I was going to be out there responding to incidents. There was an increased chance that I was going to catch it and not only catch the virus, but catch a virus that would potentially be disproportionately disproportionately unkind to myself or my family or all my children.
2: The figures are genuinely shocking. Of the nurses who died in this pandemic of COVID-19, 64% were black and Asian workers. Of the doctors who died of COVID-19 in this pandemic, 95% were black and Asian. As an old white bloke, It strikes me as unbelievable that a massive section of the community has been identified as being at risk and yet so little seems to have been done about it. Nothing, virtually nothing. A statue has more rights and protection. For London bus driver Mo, this played out before his very eyes.
1: We noticed that the colleagues of our that are passing away was coming from black, Asian, ethnic minority groups and, and London buses. You probably know this, that is one of the most diverse workforces in the entire country. Um, 25,000 bus workers and majority, a big majority of us are from, from the
2: black, Asian, ethnic minority. Needless to say, the government were doing little to nothing on this issue, leaving it up to the employers and companies to find solutions. So how did they do? Phil at London Underground suggests they did not do much at all.
4: The company claimed that they've done extra risk assessments for black and ethnic people and, and to put procedures into place. However, if you look at the amount of people, if you look at every death on London Underground, the figures still show that they were, they were predominantly, on average, you've got more chance of dying if you are from a, a black or Asian background.
2: Public transport in London has a high percentage of black and Asian workers. 75% of the workers there are black or Asian. With the increased risk, it became inevitable that something would happen, and it did. And it happened to a woman called Belly Majinga. Belly Majinga worked on the gates at London Underground, and here her colleague Mel remembers her.
0: Belly Majinga, she, was, uh, she used to be part of our branch, actually, for the Bakerloo line. Um, she worked at Victoria Station. Um, she was um, a black lady who um, was spat on by a member of the public, and then consequently caught COVID and then died. Now, she had made complaints, um, and there was complaints made about the fact that there was no PPE um, provided.
2: Pretty Patel might like to mock black English footballers taking a knee. She might like to flirt with the far right, but these actions have consequences, and the consequences of race-baiting in a culture war leaves racist thugs as empowered as Belly Majinga was left unprotected. A new inquest is being launched into her death. And while the outcome is pending, what is beyond doubt is that Black and Asian workers are far more likely to work in frontline jobs. Jobs that bear the brunt of the risk posed by the pandemic. What is also beyond doubt is that the health response and the government advice was either non-existent or way too late coming. What is also beyond doubt is that the health response and government advice was either non-existent or way too late coming.
0: The frontline workers and the, and the people who are cleaning, who are just like you said, the bus drivers, the train drivers, the station staff, we were not being protected. We were not being um, enabled to be um, given policies that could keep us in safe hands while the, while the pandemic was going on. Um, it, was, it was as if we were invisible. No, no special attention paid to the fact that it was affecting one community more than the other. They, was, they were sort of saying it, people having to reveal what's going on in their households.
2: The poverty rate amongst Black and Asian workers is twice as high as compared with white workers. And what appears to be playing out is confirmation of Professor Michael Marmot's report on health inequalities, that there is a link between low-income, class poor housing, race and health outcomes. Or to paraphrase the old one-liner, scientists have discovered what can help you live longer, money. As the government has now essentially abandoned public health, delegating it to its citizenry to do what they think is best, that somehow they have managed to turn science and epidemiology into an area of postmodernism, that there are no scientific facts, just germs with different points of view. It has been left for organised labour to grassroots unions to step up into the breach. This is what Unjum and his union did to find solutions.
4: Yes, we were kind of vulnerable, but we were really we were extremely, extremely well organised. Even before the um, uh, the evidence started coming through about the disproportionate impact, just looking at the faces of the bus drivers who were dying uh, or the health workers who, uh, who were dying, it was quite clear that there was a disproportion. Um, um, and so very quickly, we, we moved on, making sure anyone with underlying conditions, look, just don't even bother coming to work. Um, if ma- management give you any bother, we'll deal with it. Give us a call and we'll deal with it. Um, and likewise, we started doing that with um, with uh, Black, Asian, uh, minority, minority, ethnic members as uh, as well. Thanks
2: for listening and join me next week. Keywords is recorded, written and narrated by Mark Thomas. The series producer is Susan McNicholas. The sound editor, Helen Atkinson. It is designed by Greg Matthews, PR by Kim Manning-Cooper and Christine DeLeon. Thanks for all the trade unions from branch level to national level who have supported this podcast. A full list of supporters is available on the Mark Thomas Info website. Till next week, goodbye.
3: I say it's been great talking to you as well. It's great to have somebody actually listening to it.
2: Thank you, Mark. It was a pleasure for me too.
3: No
0: problem. I'll speak to you soon, Mark. Yeah,
1: and just, yeah, feel free to uh, reach out if there's anything else you need to know. Okay, then. Thanks a lot,
0: Mark. You take care.